Tristeria Radio. And the show starts now. Welcome to episode 10, Popping Off Pink. I'm your co-host, Chi-Chi. I'm Kimber. Happy Black History Month. Uh, and we celebrated, well, I didn't celebrate, but folks celebrated Valentine's Day not too long ago. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's been a while. It has. I feel like we had our own little government shutdown <laughs> in a weird way. You know, we were in recess for a while. You know, you had a lot going on in yeah. the mommy department in real life. And, you know, I'm just a childless wild animal. So I've been up to some things of my own that I don't really think I should disclose on this show. Okay. Well, um, we did the live show not quite a month ago. It was a lot of fun. Great audience. Um, shout out to everyone who was on stage, especially who is TNT, who has um, some new music out on all the streaming platforms. So check that out. And TNT is an acronym for those that do not know. It's Triumph Never Tarnish, Tarnish right? which is a very cute very friendly name. And our one of our own personal favorites, Rocky Snyder. Oh my God. Obsessed with Rocky. Shout out to her. She's amazing. She's doing the damn thing, ripping and running through these streets. Um, shout out to Mandy. Shout out to Chad, the lifeguard, and King Sylvie, who's on our live right now, who gave Chad his special name. That will stick forever. I don't even remember his real name anymore. It's okay. I think so, too. <laughs> so, you know, from time to time we talk about spirituality and synchronicity and definitely healing. Um, you know, and supposedly all these these numbers, these um, angel numbers have a meaning. So every now and then I see 333, okay. which represents the mind, the body, and the spirit. Okay. And even though it's Black History Month, we want to definitely talk about some common threads um, in Black history, but we really want to focus on Black futurism. Mm -hmm. um, and what does that mean? Well, it's going to be defined because there's a couple of different <laughs> uh, meanings out there. But, you know, the term futurism came from the 20th century Italian movement, uh, which is a social movement. But the big picture there was, you know, trying to liberate themselves, liberate Italy from the weight of its past. And I think as we move forward with blockbusters like Black Panther and all the other things that are going on from a cultural renaissance standpoint, and even folks just complaining like, please don't start Black history with <laughs> slavery. Um, I think that's that's key, kind of liberating ourselves from the weight of our past. And then there's the Afrofuturism, um, which is more of a cultural aesthetic that kind of blends the African diaspora with technology, which I feel like those things together roll up under my understanding of Black futurism. So today we're going to talk about the collective mind, body, and spirit of Black folk, or, or whatever term you feel <laughs> Black folk sounds fitting to me. Yeah. So the first thing uh, we're going to touch on is just this idea of self-hatred. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so many thoughts come to mind with just that phrase. I think for a lot of folks, it's kind of like, well, that's not me or that the doesn't sad, apply to me personally. It couldn't apply. The sad thing is like a lot of people that do struggle with that don't realize it. And that's what makes it really tragic mm-hmm. in my mind. Um I've seen examples of it throughout my life, especially regarding colorism, mm-hmm. where, you know, like darker girls, be it school or wherever else, have this unexplained animosity towards me mm-hmm. because I'm lighter than them and I have more hair or whatever the case. And, you know, when you look at it, it's like, would they really be able to pinpoint why they feel that way and where that comes from? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, like, I have two gorgeous dark-skinned aunts. My father is dark as well. And um, they have confidence for days, you know, and self-love forever. Yeah, And they don't project, you know, insecurity and whatever else onto others. So I just, I don't know. It's like a really twisted, weird thing. That's interesting because that's like an honest experience that you've had. Mm -hmm. And then we have, you know, I spent a good amount of time just looking at artistry of comedians and singers, not just for today's show, but just because I've always been interested in like how black media and entertainment has evolved over the years. Right. And unfortunately or fortunately, it's always had a big impact on how we view ourselves as a collective, but definitely women, because women are always going to be judged and have always been judged by their beauty. Right. And so if you look at an Ebony or a Jet from the 60s or you look at a black movie from the 1940s, there's definitely a certain aesthetic of woman that's constantly pushed as the definition of black beauty Mm -hmm. and it's not particularly diverse and you know there's emotions and turmoil and things that you know live in our subconscious but not only that it's kind of like this these attitudes that are passed down from generation to generation so um i think you know a good portion of us have folks in our family that are diverse in complexion and everything else but you personalize it and it's like, well, this is the definition of beauty that black media puts out there and I don't fit into it. Then you turn into the situation you described growing up where it's like there's this animosity or mixed with insecurity or or what Mm -hmm. have you. So that's one aspect, um, I guess, of self-hatred. And then there's, you know, I think back to Malcolm X, one of my favorite Denzel Washington movies and I laugh every time you know there's that scene where he's trying to straighten his hair and then he like has to put his head in the toilet because it's burning mm-hmm. so badly um, and not that that is or isn't particularly self-hate but it's like now you're getting into the motivation for why folks do things so in that case it was more socially acceptable in the society that, you know, we clearly weren't the majority right. to make our hair straight. Even the men 
you know, it was very common at that time for them to straighten their hair. Right. And then we, of course, you know, are in an interesting time, especially, you know, this week announced in New York City that now it's like a law um, that employers cannot discriminate against Afro-textured hair, Afro-textured hair styles. Right. For me, that's interesting because, of course, my mind automatically goes to that's awesome. That'll help change the collective mindset, not just of black folk, but just New Yorkers. Mm -hmm. Um, Of course, there can always be like that microaggression that still happens or like that unconscious, subconscious bias. But at the same time, when you make something into law, it kind of puts everyone into this state of mind like, okay, the government is saying you can't do this. Of course, it's still going to happen, but I feel like that really is a good sign for younger people, for people who haven't even, you know, like went into the workforce yet. Maybe they're in high school or what have you. I don't know. Like, I just wish people would look at things for exactly what they are. I didn't make myself the way I am. You didn't make yourself the way you are. And I guess in the mind of like a supremacist, it's, oh, I was chosen to be this so that's why I'm this way but ultimately no one fucking has a choice Mm -hmm. as far as what grows out of their head or what their face looks like unless they can afford to make that difference so I'm just like the fact that there has to be a law that says you can't feel a way towards somebody because they choose to wear locks or whatever is just it's uh, It's just really annoying to me, and um, I don't really see it as progressive. I find it scary that that's even necessary, Mm -hmm. that there needs to be a law in place to protect you for being who you biologically are. Right. We're definitely in a bubble, having grown up in the Midwest. Yeah. (laughs) There's a lot of things that um, I'm just more comfortable, or I I notice people are more comfortable who look like me doing and saying and, and and being mm-hmm. than you would see in a lot of different areas of the country. So, yes, I agree. It's sad that that has to be a law. But given what I've experienced uh, elsewhere, I do see it, oddly enough, as as progressive. But then, you know, also thinking about the great migration um, north mm-hmm. for a lot of folks that came from the south. And my mind also goes to Africa. Like, have you ever been to Africa? No. So just imagine. I mean, it's hard for me to imagine. Every now and then I try to imagine it. But, like, if you were born there, this is not even a discussion. Right. Like, that's a beautiful thing to just everyone around you is just like, whatever. If they look like you, their hair is not a topic of discussion of you have to change it to something that it doesn't naturally Right. Do. I mean, I'd like to think that's what happens down there. But, you know, lately there's been this influx of bleaching creams yeah, and wigs countries. and yeah. blonde products. A lot of, like, Africans that travel to other countries, um, they end up in prostitution. And mm-hmm. a lot of them are, like, also trying to do the whole lightning thing. So, you know, it's like in every in every country, in every nation... Being darker is just the pits. Like, it's just fucking horrible and no one wants to be. But there's so many countries. Like, Africa's huge. It's definitely bigger than what we, what's represented in the maps that we studied in school, by the way. Mm-hmm. But 
You're right, but I feel like it's so diverse. And shout out to the real Tarzan because I love watching his Instagram. Like he's done lives or streams mm-hmm. of him, like with actual tribes and like doing different um, traditions and things like that. Mm-hmm. So then I, I then I like flip back to okay, what the hell must that have been like to be like okay, I'm leaving. You know, my folks, even though I grew up in Chicago, are from Alabama, Arkansas, and Tennessee. Not Mississippi, like someone put on Twitter. <laughs> know who you are. Um, but anywho, just to be like, okay, I'm trying to make a way for myself. Mm-hmm. And then you you pick up on social cues. So it's like, you know, oh shit, I got to make sure you want to get a good job. You want to get a maid's job or whatever. Or bellhop. Right. Straighten your hair and make sure you present yourself this way. Right. And everything... We, what I really want to take my time saying is that everything in their minds at that time was about survival, but it was also about how do I survive in a way that I have to change myself. Right. Let's, I mean, I don't know that many folks can relate to that on that level. Yes, other people have to come here and learn English and things like that, but you have to change your physical appearance. It's just very to be able to Rome. get the lowest level jobs yeah. to survive after you've come up and out of the South with this backdrop of not just slavery, but the KKK and, and lynchings and burnings. Right. So going back to, you know, earlier, that's passed down, even though times change here and there. And, you know, at certain levels, it's like you still got grandma great-grandma, great-grandpa telling you, you better go get your hair pressed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it could be, you know, 1970, 1990, 2010, whatever. That's passed down, you know, from generation to generation. So, again, I'm, we're talking about the collective right. black mind and where self-hatred plays a part. You mentioned skin bleaching. Mm-hmm. That's happening everywhere. That's even happening in, you know, some non-African yep. countries. Jamaica. My people are out here. Cakes open the house down. Looking crazy. <laughs> turning beige. You know, looking spotty and splotchy. Because it's not natural. Mm-hmm. Like, just the adverse effects that come with trying to alter your appearance should let you know that it's not something you should be doing. You know? And it, it just saddens me that these things don't occur to anyone mm-hmm. because all they're stuck on is the mammy telling them, get those kitchens, get those kitchens in the back, you know, and all of that. Like, it's just, it's really sad. Well, you remember Martin? I don't Funny like Martin. That was, so. It was like the whole B2B thing was, you know, if you were in grade school or middle school or high school, that was something that was repeated by every boy who watched it, you mm-hmm. know? So... That yeah. was all, I mean, and I love Misa Martin as a, you know, just Martin Lawrence, not even necessarily the show. I love the show too, but I was a kid, you know, when yeah. I watched that. So now I go back and watch and I reflect and I'm like, eh. Yeah, I remember. It, it lands differently. The jokes land differently for yeah, sure. I remember the high school days, you know, peasy, nappy, whatever, you know, um, if your hair wasn't like relaxed or if it needed to be relaxed it was like oh girl what's going on (laughs) you know locks are the shit now but back then they really weren't yeah um you know i had one friend that i was in junior high with and her family is rastafarian and she's always had locks all her life Mm -hmm. and for the longest time she would get 
picked on. She would get into it because they just didn't understand anything less than, you know, the Chinese bang and the mm-hmm. wash and set in the back. So it's just it's something that um, we all have to work on collectively. And what I don't like these days is that a lot of the people that went natural and embraced this whole natural wave are now back to, you know, and I'm not going to say that if you don't wear your natural hair, you have issues Mm -hmm. or that you hate yourself because in all honesty, it's a lot of work and it's not practical for everyone's lifestyle, you know, but there are some people that just evidently never really embraced it. Right. And we're just doing it to be down. But then as soon as it got a little too tough or whatever the case, they went back hmm. to, you know, bundles or whatever else. It's like it's just and a then there's also infinite the, struggle. The point of, well, for me, I was lucky because I never had a perm as a child. My mother spent an inordinate amount of time braiding. Right. And I mean, little tiny braids with beads. I think that's how she was like working out her artistic frustration because she couldn't be an artist anymore. But, um, you know, I actually I'm like, shoot, if I could, I'd wear beads every day because that, you know, regardless of the new law that's passed, I know I can't show up to work with beads. with a head full of beads. But honestly, just personally, if I could, that's how I would wear my hair and I wouldn't even get like anyone else's hair added to it. I would just get my hair braided and put beads in it like that's the aesthetic I would go for. And that's what we need to realize as a community because I feel like it's safe to say that you as well as I are both products of love Mm -hmm. and loving environments and it's made us impervious to the things that are out there that are designed to make us doubt ourselves and feel less than. I have never, like every single fucking day, I'm so happy to be black. I'm so happy to be a Jamaican-American young woman. Like, I'm so happy. I'm so grateful. I can't even explain it. And, you know, all the time that my mother took to wash my little lion's mane, (laughs) to braid it, to twist it, Mm -hmm. it's like those things really help build an understanding and an appreciation and a love for yourself. And it just makes everything so much easier to understand. Yeah. And I realize that a lot of people don't have that, you know? A lot of people don't have it. That's interesting because what you just said about, like, just, like, loving yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, everybody has, who knows how many dating stories. <laughs> across, I've heard some very interesting ones. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really date, honestly. I don't feel like in high school. Definitely in college. But mm-hmm. high school, I was just such a shy, like, nerdy kid. But I remember coming across folks that weren't black, and they would be like, I'm interested in you, mm-hmm. and I only date black girls. And my little teenage mind was, I mean, I couldn't put it into words, but there was something wrong with that to me. Mm-hmm. Um and I'm like, because I think, to your point, when you're raised to love yourself right, and to love yourself as you are, it's weird for someone to then be you're like... You're more cautious. It's like, um, like why what? wouldn't you love someone equally <laughs> that looks like your mom and looks like your sister right. and your aunt? So something's wrong internally. I don't, I don't, I don't want to deal with that. Yeah. And I think that now... 
we trick ourselves or we say nonsense. But when you say things like what was said by, you know, the viral video of the football player with his uh, football brethren and they were toasting some more light-skinned kids and oh it just so God. happened that all of their wives were white Ugh. as a woman regardless of color i personally would be like disgusted and like that's like vomit inducing to me Absolutely. i wouldn't even sit down next to a man let alone marry him and, mm-hmm. and procreate that thought like that regardless of again color like there's something wrong when you don't love where you come from. Right. It can't even be a genuine love that you have between right. the two of you if that person really doesn't love themselves. That's true, but again, to me that all ties back into as vile and as fucked up as that is, it all ties back into being a product of your environment. Mm-hmm. Was your mom a piece of shit mom? And you just associate that blackness with that ain't shitness that yeah. you've seen growing up in your life. So when you do get older, it's, I want to get away as far from this as possible. Let me go date a white woman. Let me go have kids with a white woman because the lighter, the more likely it's it's going to be different. You know, like um, when I used to work in Park Slope, I would see black men walking around in that area and it's a notoriously white area Mm -hmm. and every now and again you'll see like the interracial couple and you know i'd see like a black man just walking his dog whatever and it's like he's just in a completely different realm when you look at most black men they're very much like there's just some there's a difference in their aura like Mm -hmm. they're very in the moment they're very present you know maybe they have some things on their mind but Guys that have made it to, you know, the land of milk and honey, <laughs> living in Park Slope with their white wives and their interesting children and their dogs, they all seem to have like this different, they have like this weird aloofness about them. And it's like a very kind of glazed over, comforted thing they have going on. And then, you know, they'll look at me and I'll look at them. And I'm sure they'll think, hmm, I wonder how my life would have turned out <laughs> if someone like that was that around. Flash of- <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like that momentary disruption happens and I'm just like, you but know, peace be with you. Because I've noticed I've been watching TV more. I didn't, I didn't used to watch TV. I oh. got sucked into you got- TV and oh. I noticed the commercials. um, and it was weird because when I was watching this last week, it was back-to-back commercials. Mm-hmm. One was for some type of insurance, and I do not remember what the other commercial was. But in both commercials, there was a black woman, you know, your typical, like, middle-aged suburban black woman. Mm-hmm. And her husband was white, and it was like this banter back and forth. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, look at the little nice couple. And the more you see that, I mean, I'm old enough to know where all the nonsense stems from. But, right. you know, think about an impressionable 10-year-old. It sends message over time that if you want what you just said, that right. aloofness, that happiness, that glazed the look. The comfort, the elevation. You need <laughs> to go this direction because yep. y'all two together is going to be fucking chaos. Pretty much. It's going to be problematic. And even with the images we see, not just in hip-hop, but just mm-hmm. black media, 
they also perpetuate that. Oh, 100 It's like, well, if you got, you know, a black man, a black woman, there's going to, it's going to be like all these problems. It's not going to be stable. Right. Blah, 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 blah. Meanwhile, they never reinforce marriage, which every other culture who has built something, who can pass on real estate, pass on investments, mm-hmm. value marriage. Marriage and family are the cornerstone of that. Yep. So you purposely brainwash people into being you know, into this um, instant gratification mode, especially where sex and lust are concerned. Even mm. the so-called, you know, middle-aged guys that are supposed to be spitting knowledge are also, like, overtly sexual, overtly yeah. lustful. And yeah. so the the young men looking up to you don't have a foundation to value marriage and to value us as humans first. Right. You do a disservice to our young men when you raise them that way. And or show them or direct them in a way that's just like, this is all TNA. Yeah, honestly. And then it goes on for generations and we never build anything. So those commercials start to become a reality. That Park Slope guy is also a (laughs) Park Slope gal. Yep. And because they're like, I don't want the fuck shit. I don't want the bullshit. And this is the only way I see out. Yep. That's and this is all again, bringing it back to the collective Mm self-hatred. But it all, the only way to counteract that is Mm self-love. And, you know, it's not to say that I'm not progressive. You know, you love who you love. If, you know, your bitch happens to be blue and green and y'all hit it off, by all means, go make purple babies. Nobody's dating the, not to pick on anybody, but nobody's dating the like 800 pound obese person and saying, oh, you just love who you love. No, let's, (laughs) let's be clear. (laughs) <laughs> We're talking about, you know, skin colors and diverse backgrounds, not medical conditions. I don't think people realize if you think, if you condition yourself or you are conditioned to think that way, male or female, then you automatically are saying, if this is better, if I'm a man, mm-hmm. then you're automatically saying that the white male is better than you. If you're a female, the same Girl. thing. Because otherwise you wouldn't believe that you... That this is better for you. Girl, I just dragged everybody on Instagram the Uh other day because I was having a conversation with one of my dear friends and she said that she finally found a therapist and I was elated for her. I'm like, wonderful, you know, we were talking about it and she told her family to which they said, that's that white shit, that's that crazy shit. And I'm just like, do y'all not fucking realize that every single time you say something that is supposed to be constructive for you, Mm -hmm. progressive for you, healthy for you, enriching for you, is for a white person, you're essentially saying that you, as well as Every black person deserves less. Right. So, like, I'm supposed to sit here in my crazy, sit here in feelings I don't understand, lead a life of dysfunction, repeat fucked up patterns, pass these patterns on to my children, and just talk to Jesus about it. As if Jesus don't got enough going on. Right. Just because I'm black. Like, that's... They're not even using Jesus' real letters. There was no J back then. And this is why I don't really pay much attention to Black History Month because things like that, that mindset is still so present. The nigger that never existed, Mm -hmm. we continue to perpetuate it every single day. Oh my God. So I'm just like, why? Speaking of... Black History Month, what? What about it? Before we get move into the other part of the mind, Mm -hmm. you know, when you said that, you reminded me of a little snafu we had. So overall... Um, Kimber did great 
and I did great. And together we did awesome <laughs> for the live show. But we had some issues. Um, we had some issues with the with the video. Went back and forth a lot just oh, to get yes. a final cut. And even with that, um, it's not as crazy as what the first two cuts look like, but it was pretty bad. And I got to be honest, my sensitive ass, you know, I'm from the land of Care Bears and my little ponies. Mm-hmm. I was very hurt. I'm going to be honest, because the first time we did a real studio session, it was real quick. I had to go on Craigslist and I just took the best offer and it was a little bit, you know, pricier than I would have liked. Um, mm-hmm. But we had a full video. Right. And then we had a professional video. Right. And in the midst of me going on Craigslist, I tapped some people I know. But by mm. the time they got back to me with folks that look like us, I was like, well, I already hired this guy. I already signed a contract. Right. So for me to keep that person's contact info, because our first show was last September. Mm-hmm. That was like professionally shot. Right. So from September to then end of January, you know, it really hurt me that we were basically being treated like shit and like Mm -hmm. this wasn't valuable. And here I was trying to keep the money and I'm still going to, I'm just going to do a lot more front work from now on. Um, But it was really hurtful to have that experience because we hear that a lot. And it's like, I still want to believe better and I still do believe better and I will find the right person for the next time. But that hurt me deeply. Um, that you know that 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 occurred it was really unfortunate yeah, i mean but you know it's a reality like black people are an inherently damaged and dysfunctional people in some way shape or form everyone has a little something everyone has a little splash of crazy a little splash of ain't shit whatever it is and it carries over into all aspects of our lives you know, some of us can excel academically and financially, but um, in terms of romance and marriage, it's fucked up. And, you know, for some people, it spills over into business. And there are a lot of black businesses that have that very starter vibe, you know, and you try to support them, but they just don't have a good business acumen and they don't know how to execute things correctly and handle things professionally you know we've dealt with a lot of (laughs) uh, things i won't disclose (laughs) for the sake of peace and love yeah but we have dealt with a series of things surrounding the live show involving our black brothers and sisters and it's like y'all just don't know how to fucking conduct business like y'all don't know how to be professional y'all don't have a considerate bone in your body you just want to secure the bag but the bag isn't secure because you're you know you're handling it with one fucking finger when you need all five um it's sad and Hmm. i try i try not to be because you know i'm the pickle of the two of us i try to be more lenient and nicer but i'm honestly never surprised Never surprised, and I don't expect anymore. And I think that's what we need to do, you know, just not like, just not take even shit. Before, just be like, oh well, you know. Yeah. Even <laughs> before the Gucci controversy, what you said about not having the business acumen, and mm-hmm. then for us to be, which takes a lot of strength, frankly, um, to be able to kind of take the ten thousand foot view. And on one hand say, well, this is very common. But on the other hand say, well, we understand why. Mm -hmm. So it's like 
it's a struggle, honestly, to try to figure out the the right balance between being understanding that folks don't have the deep experience right. or the business acumen, but then not tolerating bullshit. Because I think what it when it comes down to is working with someone who's trying and well, who's showing right. that they're trying. I will give you I'll give you a little bit extra patience. I might even give you a little bit extra money, depending on what you're selling. If you show me that you're trying and you you don't maybe necessarily have the business acumen um, of someone outside of our community. But when you don't have it and you're loud and what is it? Wrong and strong. Wrong and strong. Then I, I got to bounce. I can't refer you. I can't do more business That's when with you, you. got to hit them with the Iyanla, you know, like you don't oh God, condemn. We love Iyanla. You don't condemn them. But you don't no. take the disrespect no. and the disregard for your business and your money or whatever else at the same time. And all the while, you can still understand, like, it's okay. You just don't know what the fuck you're doing. And I don't want to work with you. Right. But I hope that maybe five to ten years down the line when you stop treating this like a hobby. Yeah. And you actually realize that you're handling people's money and this is a service in exchange for money that you'll do things a little better. Speaking of doing things better, that was a perfect transition. (laughs) Because, you know, my my mother and her father before her. (laughs) And thank God my kids are not on this podcast because they could speak to me as well. But I feel like each generation got a little bit more understanding and not as insane. (laughs) Um, My mother came from a family where they were expected to write reports and do homework. That was not assigned by the school, not assigned by teachers, assigned by her dad primarily, but my grandparents. And they had to read the Jewish newspaper as well as whatever, you know, the U.S. today. And they had to read the Arabic Times and that type of thing. And my kids, you know, weren't happy about having to read The Economist and screaming that they couldn't understand most of the words. And me saying, so what? Make a list. Mm -hmm. Make a list of the words. Memorize the definition. Go back. Read it. And then I still want a summary. And doing New York State tests at home until you achieved... 90% 90% or better, two grades above your current, just nonsense. And you've heard athletes, we've heard even some entertainers, you know, of certain ilk talk about how their parents put them in this mindset. I think Kerry Washington is one of them, mm-hmm. where it was like, I have to be three times as good just to be there, just to be at the table, just That's to be the at the That's the fact of the matter, though. That's the fact of the matter. Um, and, you know, I think that's what everyone needs to fucking realize all these rappers out here, all of these, everyone that does anything, it's saturated. And if you really want to be a part of it and you really want to be able to sing the praises and, you know, flaunt the credentials mm-hmm. and whatever else, you really have to go ham and cheese. There's no other way around it. But what do you, what do you think that does because on one hand, and again, this is taking the 10,000-foot view after, right? Because we're all conditioned. Um, there's things you can choose to learn or unlearn or, or, or change. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But for me, when I thought about it, now that my kids are much older, I'm like, wow. I mean, on one hand, yeah, it helped mm-hmm. us get to where we all needed to be. But to be a little kid and not to just be able to just be 
with someone just like, hey, you got to go take this test that I'm making you take, and you got to do extra homework and, and ex- read extra books. No, I mean, it was good on one hand because they love reading books, but when it, you know, what does that mean? Like, what are you carrying around? Again, going back to the collective mind and mindset. I mean, my my parents essentially did the same thing. I had those um, Britannica oh, books, yeah. and I would have to read an article. I would have to read the newspaper, you know. And I, being rebellious for all of my life, rebellious and emotional, I'd be like, I don't want to do this. Like, I don't want it. Like, no. But it gets you further along than most people because I went through a great deal of my academic life being called a dictionary and all I all I knew were pretty basic words in my mind it wasn't you know I wasn't out here giving IQ on 250 or whatever but people always felt like oh like you're you know it just it just gives you more of an edge mm-hmm. and Frankly, um, living in the city, childhoods are very short mm, yeah, and very accelerated. So, you know, I feel like just two weeks ago I was 13, but I'm not anymore. And, I mean, it's like it's great if you can age appropriately, if you can age, you know, the way you're supposed to. But there's no there's no um there's no harm in preparing your children for the worst i feel like if i were to have children i would constantly be thinking if i were to die today would they be all right exactly and that's how you have to prepare them this is where i want to go with this are you a football fan Mm -mm. me neither however i grew up under football fans so there are certain things that i have memories of i have memories Mm of grown-ups around me talking um, very passionately and I can't even tell you the name of the guy I don't want to say the wrong name Mm -hmm. but the first time a black quarterback was part of a winning Super Bowl team and again not being a football fan being a kid but just listening to little snippets of the conversation and then surmising that oh the reason this is a big deal is because usually it's not a black quarterback and you have to be super smart and no one could believe that you know a black quarterback could lead a football team, right? So what you're saying, I think, goes across the board, yeah. especially for immigrant um, families. So, like, a lot of my friends <laughs> who were Asian were like, is your mom Asian? Because I wasn't allowed to come home with anything less than straight A's. Mm-hmm. And I never knew that right. until they told me that that was a common experience, right? Yeah. So what you're saying is absolutely right. You want to raise your kids in a way where it's like, if I die, y'all are good. Pretty However, much. When you're black and you come up against, I'm going back to the mm-hmm. the images and the media that we see. Whether you're that really smart black quarterback, or you're, you know, a black immigrant entrepreneur, or, or you work in the office, whatever it is you do, or you're a black American and you work in trading or finance or what have you, and you have to go up against images that constantly put in everyone's mind. Because at the end of the day, we're all in this country together that we are less than, that we're unintelligent, that we're hypersexual, that's different. Because yeah. when me and my Asian friends all got to a certain age and we get into a working situation, they don't have to fight against those stereotypes. And it's not stereotypes um, that's only being perpetuated by 
folks that don't look like us. So that's the difference. You have to be three times as good and you have to withstand this lowered um, ideal of who you are and what you can contribute. To me, it's simply put, prove them wrong. But that's what I'm saying. That wears on your mind. It, it's not That you even... have to prove someone wrong versus just be. Just be great. Just be celebrated because you're great as opposed to carrying an extra burden. Because we're not all... When you talk about black accomplishment, you're like, oh, well, Oprah did this and Jordan did this. Those are just extraordinary human beings. We're all like you know, working at a very similar level Mm -hmm. for the most part until you push yourself to excel at something. And to have to carry that around over time, that weighs on you. I I don't know. The way I see it, what weighs on me from my personal standpoint is feeling like I don't do enough. You know, like it could be something as simple as seeing someone do a backflip and I'm just like, bitch. Mm Mm-hmm. I can't even do a cartwheel. Mm-hmm. I need to do more with my life. It's just we all have life, and that is our superpower, and we don't have it for that long. So I feel like the least we can do is the most we can with it. And when we're in a society that's rigged to basically fuck us, the least we can do is be equipped to defend ourselves. Because, yeah, it is tiring, but you know what's exhausting? Fucking struggling. Mm -hmm. Because you dealt with or accepted mediocrity and chaos and dysfunction in your life. And you turned yourself off of education and expansion for yourself you know like I don't I just I just don't think we can afford to be anything less than we can afford and we've covered I think for the most part I mean can't cover as much as we'd like to here Mm -hmm. but the backdrop the history and the present but with the futurism outlook of you know liberating ourselves (laughs) from the weight of our past. What does that look like? Are we saying we're okay with that? When we look at the collective mindset and and look at the the self-hatred juxtaposed against the being three times as good, Mm -hmm. those are two very different (laughs) things that are part of our reality and have been for a long time. Of course. So when I think future, I automatically think positive. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I really want the folks that eventually watch this and listen to this to weigh in, what does that future look like? I guess everyone would like to think from an idealistic sense that it'll be very progressive, um, that everyone will get to be as they are with no explanation and no apology. But the way I see it, we just have so much that needs to be undone yes. and figured out and repaired. And, you know, my scope of the world is only but so so big, seeing as though, you know, I live in Brooklyn, I work in the city, I only have like 600-something followers on Instagram, So, and most of them I've known for like a good amount of time. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, all I see... Day in, day out is Millie rocking, dabbing, tongues hanging out, twerking, and that's just my scope of the world. So it doesn't really give me, you know, hope for the future. But speaking for myself, um, I know that my future will be a very healthy 
very progressive, very fulfilled one because I have active dialogue with myself every day and I teach myself things every day and I arrive at certain conclusions every day that just teaches me to be a better and more vigilant person Mm -hmm. when it comes to bullshit from other people and just bullshit in general. Yeah, I like what you said about the the repairing and the unlearning Mm -hmm. because I feel like there is there are more people starting to use that vocabulary like unlearning and how important it is to unlearn things that are just damaging to your psyche damaging to your holistic health so I'm hopeful for that and like I said I really do I am interested in in everyone's you know your opinions on that and how you see that playing out and just I'm it's just I'm very passionate about the images that we put out there and not just like there should only be a certain type of image but really showing the diversity of who we are yeah, and having balance. And again, I've shouted them out before I shout out Ween because that is the focus of that organization is to really be mindful and, and be actionable when yeah. it comes to black women's images and entertainment. Yeah. Of which I'm a proud member. Um, all right. How's your mind feeling? Good. How's your body feeling? Girl... <laughs> I am so, like, I've been trying to get more active lately because, you know, like, I want to be handstand mommy. I want to be out here, and I'm so sore and so tired. Yeah. But I'm good. How are you? Um, I'm actually, I'm not where I want to be, but I've been, for the month of February, I've been, like, committed to working out at least a half an hour a day. And it's interesting because then you start becoming very aware of certain things. Mm-hmm. And it's not things that I didn't know. But when it when it's kind of like my inner critic is like, girl, because I've always had no matter where I've been up and down the scale, mm-hmm. I've always had a very strong core. Mm. So when it's time to do core, sometimes people, if they're in the room with me, they're surprised. Like, you really have a strong stomach. But I don't I wasn't working out consistently. So it's like, it's almost like a slap in the face to myself because it's like, you're not even somebody who has to work up to get See, the See, that's what I'm saying. You have the strength and you you're just You're not doing been, enough. You're not oh, doing, doing enough. Now. I'm doing enough. <laughs> and it's nothing. It's like, I'm like, oh shit, I went 45 minutes. I'm going an hour. Why not go out and have, why not finish this? And well, we, we met up last Friday. It's like, I can just keep walking. I can keep, mm-hmm. I went home, worked out that night, you know, awesome. even after all the nonsense. All so, the nonsense. Sanford's. Oh my god! My god! The tuner is so good. Yes. Um, (sighs) black bodies. Black bodies. You talked about twerking, so there's like this sexualization of black bodies. Mm -hmm. There's the fetishization for sure of black bodies, and then there's violation of black bodies, Mm -hmm. and that can mean a whole lot of things. Whether you're talking about you know, Laquan McDonald or, you know, Me Too or or what have you. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like there's so much you could cover when you're like, what what do we what do you want to cover when you talk about the collective black body? Well, first and foremost, I definitely want to point out that um, I remember like a couple years back, I was in a group chat with some friends And they shared this article, or it was like an excerpt from some textbook from whatever fucking year, where they basically called 
African-American women's protruding body parts a disorder. Wow. So it's like, that's the kind of shit that has been going around. Mm -hmm. That's the kind of shit that has been put in people's minds from, I think it was like, not even the 20s. I think it was like, even further back. But just... Like, we've just been alienated and made to feel crazy for things that we cannot control. Yeah. For our our nature. And to me, we're the baddest motherfuckers walking, but, you know. I was watching a lot of 90s sitcoms. Um, I watched Living Single. Mm-hmm. I watched Different World, of course. Um, with, the exe- with the exception of John Clayton... A.K.A. Tracy Ellis Ross. Mm-hmm. I didn't see any ridiculously protruding beauty booties. Right. And, you know, from Living Single, you got Queen Latifah, who's thick. You got Regine, played by Kim Fields, who was on the thicker side. Mm-hmm. You had Jada Pinkett Smith. You had the woman, I cannot remember her name, who played Gina on Different World, who wasn't as thick as, like, a, a Kim Fields or a Queen Latifah, but she was definitely thicker than, like, a Willie Gilbert or mm-hmm. a Jada Pinkett Smith. And I'm... <laughs> All of these women still to this day are gorgeous and celebrated, but no matter how thick or thin they were, no one had these ridiculously protruding booties. And I'm like, you're to the point now where it's expected. It's almost like what you said earlier about like if your hair wasn't straightened. Yeah. It's like, is everything okay? Yeah. Because your butt's not like a shelf. (laughs) <laughs> shout out to my sister because she got a butt like a shelf and she always has had one right. natural there's some so natural big is, booties in my family we have, we and have started to fetishize ourselves for the last I don't know how many years it's been now since that's been a real thing maybe six like people finance that shit now it's like oh well I gotta I gotta finance my five my five thousand dollar booty lift girl oh my god lord jesus KFC, and I take your order. Lord. Hello. Hello, sir. Hi. Hey. I was just getting ready to call you guys. <laughs> no. This is the beauty of things. So we have you on mic, which is awesome. I'm here with Kimber. This is Chi Chi. Um, everyone listening, this is Professor Brandon. How are you, Brandon? How's your hello, life? Hello. I'm well. I'm very well. I just got through teaching um, a, a creative writing workshop. Oh, wow. Middle schoolers. So I'm doing extra, you know, giving Middle back. Middle school. That is awesome. And we're so happy that you can join us. Um, you are at the University of Iowa, correct? Are you there That's right correct. now? <laughs> I am not. No, I'm in, uh, I'm in uh, Maywood, Illinois. Oh, you're back home. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So for everyone on the phone, this is Professor Brandon. He is... Um, a visiting professor at the University of Iowa where he um, teaches courses in hip-hop. Definitely, I've been listening to um, the Talented 10th. Um, he's a former, right. I don't know if you're a former or current MC, but goes by the moniker as a rapper of, of Real Talk. The A is an at sign. And recently um, released the Black Love Mixtape. That's BLK, Love Mixtape. Can you talk a little bit about the black love mixtape and and what that is and what inspired it yeah yeah so so the black love mixtape i started creating that um um i was sitting around i i i was i'm a dj and so 
in undergrad, uh, I was DJing an event, um, and um, this, this like women's banquet for uh, for the Zetas for my source, and mm-hmm. it was like, um, yo, we want you know, leading up to the show, I was like, all right, we want you to play a bunch of songs that are uplifting for black women. I said, okay, cool. So I started going through my uh, music, you know, my my brain library, and I was like, you know what? A lot of the music that's uplifting for black women is like R and B from like the the eighties and seventies <laughs> and sixties, right? And earlier. And the ones that were current were just like, you know, off the top of your ears, like Music Soul Child. Mm-hmm. Right. But it was like a handful. And I was like, all the other songs were like written about sex or it was about um, it was um, I love my mother and I love my daughter. And it's like, well, that's kind of easy, black man. Like, it's easy to love your mom. <laughs> and it's like, it's easy to love your daughter because like she came from your from your loin. Right. But there were rarely songs that was just like, I love you, black woman, period. Uh, it was always like a sexual undertone, and so I said, you know what? There's um, there's no art, uh, like like there's not an abundant uh, piece of art that exists where black men are uplifting black women and showing love to them directly. And so I reached out to um, there's a piece in the book I wrote called Black Women Studies, and then it in, in inspired me to reach out to a lot of my colleagues. And so 72 other black men, wow, poets and speakers, uh, we contributed poems, songs, and um and uh, raps dedicated to uplifting black women. And I, I gave him the challenge. I said, your piece can't be sexual. And it, you know what I'm saying? And it, All right and it, now. Uh, I like this. It couldn't be about mothers or it couldn't be about daughters. But I said, you know, those are typical. So like, uh, I'm going to challenge you to go out of that. So some cats were like, oh, I got a bunch of those. And other cats was like, actually, I don't have me. I'm going to write some now. But thank you for, you know, charging me mm-hmm. with that. And so, um, yeah, that, so, so that piece of work is, is, you know, intentional art it's like the only historical matter of record proving that black men love black women. Wow. And where can that be found? I was just going to say. Like, where can people hear that? Oh, that's uh, uh, Amazon. Look it up. Just search my name on Amazon, Brandon Alexander Williams, or just Google the Black Love Mixtape. Uh, black is spelled B-L-K. Okay. So B-L-K, we'll definitely okay. share that later. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, yeah, please do. And, and so the cool thing about the book is that um, the book is uh, it's, it's one of the blackest books you've ever seen in your life. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the cover of the book is a black woman with an afro and within her afro uh, are flowers in the shape of the continent of Africa and, nice um, a cool other tidbit because I'm a poet and stuff like that uh, the type of flower is baby's breath mother Aww. Africa baby's breath yeah. you know what I'm saying you feel me um, I knew y'all got it because y'all were telling me everything but uh <laughs> so anyhow like uh, I-, I designed that um that that photo shoot and we did the photo shoot in the living room of my homeboy's house shout out to be free um be free period on instagram phenomenal photographer um and the model is uh ikea damon hmm. and so uh we did that cover and then the pages the pages are black with white ink nice and um i did that for a couple of reasons one just because it's black i want to make it the blackest book ever but, <laughs> um you can actually read the book in dim light and the letters will literally jump out at you when you don't Stop. Yeah, you know um, what and um, so they don't glow in the dark, but you can read it under them lights. I like I, this. I, I was... So you can be in a tub with some lights and hopefully not burn yourself or the book, but you can see it in Innovation. the Innovation. Yeah, I love it. Innovation. Yeah. Well, you... And, yeah. And um, I, looked, I looked up the science behind, like, reading books and why we get tired, why our eyes get tired, and mm-hmm. our eyes get tired from staring at whiteness for so much. Um, all puns intended. And so, um, <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, I want to make the book, you know, easy to read. And the, and the final thing about it that makes it so cool is that on every page, there's a QR code. And within the QR code, it kind of looks like hieroglyphics. 
and we got a picture of a black woman in the middle of that. You scan that with the QR code, it takes you to a private playlist mm-hmm. of that artist spitting that piece. So it's an audio book. Wow. That's amazing. Well, I can't wait to, to cop it. We'll definitely share it on social for our, our folks. You know, we have a lot of beautiful people in general, but definitely a large female following that I think um, would would enjoy what you're describing. And, you know, I haven't obviously experienced it yet, but thank you <laughs> for for creating that. Um, so we were just, we had just covered like the collective mind of black folk and we just started to tap dance a little bit on the collective body. And so this is good timing because um, what I started, the segue was, you know, black bodies, the, the sexualization, f- fetization, and even the violation, you know, whether you're talking about Laquan McDonald or, or trafficking or what have you. Um, right. What What are your immediate thoughts there? Um, I mean, well, like, as far as we talk about uh, black bodies, uh, one thing um, I speak to a lot in, in, in my, my poetry and my rap as of recent I speak to um, black men not or, or seeing ourselves as like sexual objects, mm-hmm. never seeing our bodies as precious or rarely or never being told that always kind of like um, understanding that like you are used for this. Um, I have a piece called Dear Brother. And in there, you know, one of the lines um, I, I say is um, I said, uh, I know you struggle with the women, homie. I do, too. But damn arbitrary fishing, homie. It ain't my mission, homie, nor my hobby or my fate to keep hunting for sport with my body is debate. Mm. Okay, now. If I could go back, I probably would have waited. It's like I probably would be five years married to somebody now with a smaller body count. I ain't got this shit figured, homie. I'm just trying now, doing my best, trying not to ruin my flesh. And so, like, uh, in the piece, I'm just I'm just talking to, like, man, as I've grown older, I wanted to get out of this, uh, you know, being a, uh, identifying as a former uh, fuckboy. Um, out of this this, uh, uh, mindset of thinking that like oh I'm doomed to it so you know the whole boys will be boys it's like boys will be held accountable for their actions Mm -hmm. but in the midst of all of that it's like I had to be convinced that um, in order to convince a young man to chase the cat so to speak you have to convince him he has to agree that his body doesn't have value right because it's like in the midst of that, I have to give my body away or think that it doesn't have value to say, here, you can have it, you can have it, you can have it, you can have it. Mm-hmm. Right. And as opposed to looking at it like, um, you know, uh, I got to catch them all and objectifying. So in order for me, you know, like in order for me to objectify the black woman, I have to objectify myself. I got to walk in that willingly. And so when I think of uh, uh, bodies, just like from being a black man, that's one thing that's like big. And I advocate with my brothers and my peers to like, yo, like, see yourself as different and I challenge them like every step of the way and to not see themselves as objects or uh, their mates and even like uh, their children in the future right like uh, one of my homeboys was talking about like he just had a daughter and of course you know you hear guys say stuff like oh well you know that's your karma (laughs) your daughter is not karma you know like God doesn't work that way right Right. your daughter isn't isn't karma for uh, bad things that you've been doing your daughter is a blessing point blank period if that happens to be a motivator to get you to act right, then so be it. Um, but one thing, you know, he said was like, you know, I'm not going to let my daughter date till she's 18. Hmm. And I challenged him. I said, I said, you know what you're saying? He's like, I mean, you know, I'm just trying to keep it protected. I said, no, you're implying that the young men who will grow to be her age at that time won't be ready. And you're in charge of that. You have influence on the boys in the hood. Mm-hmm. 
the boys on the block see you every day. You look like what they're going to look like one day. And they and it's your responsibility to reach out to them and to build community with them. Because if you think that parenting is a one-person job or even a two-person job, you lost already. Right. Right. And so um, with, with that, I, I say um, help raise the boys on the block so you ain't scared to let your daughters date the boys on the block. She'll be in a safe space made by the boys on the block from the code of honor that you gave the boys on the block. So what do you make of women who are currently augmenting themselves to fit a standard that, I mean, honestly, I can't even imagine where it really started. Yeah. But um, what is your what is your thought on that? Um, I, I think that uh, I, I think that uh, um, body positivity is, is a real thing. I definitely champion that um, as far as like women changing their bodies. Um, I, I I disagree with it because I, I figure no mo- no matter how you cut it, it's it's like, and of course of course like like we're we're, we're not being uh, completely explicit. I, I assume that you're saying when you're talking about augmenting bodies, you're saying like uh, the ass uh, shots, uh, the nitty gritty. Right? I've heard of women having breast projections because of like back problems and stuff like that. I'm I'm all with that, right? But right. adding on things that that aren't there, um, I'm not with that at all. It's unhealthy um, mentally. It's unhealthy uh, physically as well especially putting foreign substances into your body. And it's like, um, you still put a lot of trust into these different doctors. Right. Um, and, and, um, it's like, you don't know what you don't know. So, um, yeah, I, I champion body positivity. And whenever, whenever I get the chance, if I catch anybody like talking negatively about that, I, especially from a teaching standpoint, I like to nip it in the butt mm-hmm. so that I can create safe spaces for body positivity. And so, um, I guess what's important for me is like realizing what that looks like in real life. That's always the, you know, the, the, the hardest part is figuring out, okay, we got this concept. We got this idea. What does it look like every day? Body positivity looks like I love myself as is, you know, Mm -hmm. with no additives. Um, Body positivity also looks like, Hey, I wear protective styling. Right. But I have natural hair underneath. Um, And so, uh, but, but as far as like adding, adding different things on, on bodies, I don't speak too much to them. Uh, like I'll just say that I disagree, but I'm not around here uh, beating the drum, saying, "Hey, don't get, uh, don't get ass shots, right? And don't do all of that," because that's not my fight. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, but what I'm gonna do is I'm, I'm gonna use, I'm gonna use my words to champion, right? To champion body positivity and to champion women who, uh, who rock, uh, love the skin that they're in and love their body that they're in and and rock it naturally, and uh, just do that. You know, ignore it if you think it's whack. Support it if it's dope. And just leave it at that. You know, I just really love your accent. You are so funny. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I just had to know because I love it. I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is so delightful on the ears. Thank you. I think that that was some very futuristic shit you said about. Uh, teaching boys that their bodies is precious. Yeah, fuck boys need love too. I've always been about that. I have like an exemplary example of a great black man in my life. That's mm-hmm. my father. So, you know, I'll never wave the niggas ain't shit flag. I believe that there are good ones out there. Yeah. And, you know, everyone can be a good person. It's just, you know, yeah. about where you come from and the pro- being a product of what you are. And, um, you know, in relationships, I feel like we as women need to know and understand our role and yeah. work on uplifting men and supporting them and trying to help them grow into what we know they could be, even if it doesn't work out. 
Real quick, Professor Brandon, do you see more grown men or even men in your circle that are trying to unlearn the fuckboy habits and, and just, you know, do better, just become better in that regard? A thousand percent, because I hold them accountable. And I don't, I, I'm, I'm not allowing anybody in my circle that's like slack or that's moving like that. Mm-hmm. And then any of my homeboys that move like that, when they try to share, because, you know, naturally you share stories just like you would with right. your homegirls, mm-hmm. right? I, I, one, one thing I learned to do, because I was like, man, like one of my homies, he was like really like deep into it, you know? And um, one, day, I, one day I was just critically thinking and I said, how can I discourage him from doing this? Instead of, because, you know, saying don't do that, like that doesn't work. Yeah. Uh, for children, it doesn't work for adults. Because it's like, okay, uh, you tell a child to stop. You got to replace my, my uh, action with something else. You can't tell me just stop and do nothing. You got to give me something else to do. So, what I do is like, for example, he was he was trying to show me, hey, check out this girl I just met in the A. Uh, let me show you this picture, right? And I'm like, no, nah, I don't want to see it. And he's like, man, come on, man. you acting <laughs> like I was like, no, bro, I don't want to see. It. I said, if you like it, that's all that matters. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, get your old deep your deep poetry right now. <laughs> okay. And I'm like, I said, bro, I said I don't want to see her. I said, uh, when I when I meet her, I'll meet her. But I'm not interested in looking at pictures of. A girl that you, you see what I'm saying, but right. once we get in that bag, that's what we're used to, mm-hmm. and we've done that since middle school, high school. So it's like, I know for him, it was like, no, man, I don't like that. Like, no, I want you to like kind of validate me a little bit. Exactly. Like, I want you to tell me that this girl looks good, and I'm like, no, I'm not gonna give you validation. And then what he's gonna figure out to do at that point, I don't know what he's gonna do with it, but I know that I'm not gonna champion that behavior mm-hmm. even at that small entry point. And so I figured out different ways to uh, encourage. Uh, my brothers to do that, you know, because you know the don't do this, don't do like I said, that doesn't work. So you have to figure out different ways. And so I encoded in my raps, put it in my pieces, and then you know I live by example. Uh, one, one of my uh, big homies, Killer Mike, he just said he kept saying on this interview in the Breakfast Club, he was like, you know, I married a black woman. A lot of uh, a lot of my critics have not, and, and so <laughs> I just I just got engaged uh, to, to to my fiance. Um, oh, congratulations! And, thank you, thank you. Um, and, and and I think it's important to. Um, be be the change that you want to see and set examples. Yes. You know what I'm saying. And so, um, although my purpose for proposing to her was not to teach my boys better lessons, right? But I know that my example speaks volumes to them, and for them to say, like, you know what, man, like, let me let me look at this a different way. Like, let me let's build community, let's build legacy, let's not um, waste everybody's you know, time. <laughs> yeah, and and most importantly, your own, right? Because mm-hmm. you know, when you get on an airplane, they say, hey, if cabin pressure gets low, the mask fall, and then what you got to do first? Put it on yourself. Right. Put the mask on you yourself put it on first. Yourself yeah. first. So, in order for you to be a better person, it starts with self love. Mm-hmm. So exactly. Where, where I got um, where I went off to a slow start of getting out of my fuckboydom uh, started <laughs> with me on an apology tour because I'm thinking I have to. I'm up here trying to put the mask on the women that I thought I hurt, right, or that I hurt, and I'm just trying to put the mask on them, and they're just like, we're not. It's too late. I'm. I don't want this. Sorry, because the sorry is only treating the symptom of my hurt. What really? And what one of them actually told me, like, listen, I'm cool. You gotta look out for you. And I was like, wait a second. I'm gonna make her say that. It's like even in the midst of her being hurt, you know, yeah. showing love to me. And I said, dang. And then I went on a whole different, you know, a whole different journey. And um, I came out a better person as a result. Wow. I feel so like that's what everyone needs to do. Just take that time to really look at themselves, be open with themselves, and in turn, they can be open with everyone else. Even if they don't want the relationship that the person wants, they'll be able to say it versus, like, playing games and 
you know, fucking around on people's time. Self-love and self-care is is better for all of us. That if you can't do line. those things for yourself, you damn sure can't do it for me. Speaking of... Let me ask you guys real quick. So yeah. What, uh, what, what does self-care look like in real, in real time? Because someone might listen to this and say, I hear about this self-care stuff, right? <laughs> but, but ladies, what... um. What does that look like? Oh, my God. Last night, it was at my house. I was (laughs) saging the air. It was full moon. I put some really good, like, sleep essential oil in my diffuser. I took a really nice shower. Um, I ate well but healthy. Um, God, I do so many of this nonsense. And then just, you know, there are days where things can pile up, I feel like, or, you know, just have a, a horrible string of interactions. For me, it's stopping myself and breathing and also mm-hmm. saying, hey, 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 let me align myself with my creator right now because I'm not feeling too good. I'm feeling a little bit off balance and I don't want to reflect that to anybody that I may come in contact with. Mm-hmm. Um, and then learning from that, because then usually a day or two later, I'm like, oh, that's why I was mm-hmm. feeling that way. Or, you know, and then looking for those being aware of those triggers in the future yeah. so that I'm always at my best. For me, it's not as um, elaborate. (laughs) Um, You know, I'm a very spiritual person. I'm very weird in that sense. Like, I'm very spiritually in tune, but I haven't taken the time to master and delve in and, you know, look up crystal types and things like that, unfortunately. Um, For me, self-care is a spliff. (laughs) Self-care is taking that time to listen to whatever music I want to listen to. Music is my religious practice. Um, I'm honest with myself. Um, So that's a lot of inner dialogue. That's a lot of, you know, every now and then just not literally, but internally slapping and shaking myself or just addressing the things that need to be addressed. Like if I'm being childish, if I'm being immature, if there's something I could have done better, Um, you know, and just doing what I need to do for myself and not because I'm a very giving person and I can tend to overextend myself a lot for other people. So I think the most important thing is just taking that time out for myself, you know, mm-hmm. being able to say no when I really mm-hmm. feel like I can't, like when I'm all, you know, tapped out. I think that's what it is. That's just great. paying attention to self and caring about yourself mm-hmm. but you know. that, that's that's real it's um saying no is, is big um uh, one i i want to share this with you guys and, and y'all can have it and, and anybody that's listening out there here's some language that i've used like recently as far as in the no department because sometimes it's hard to give just a, a no neat right you mm-hmm. know it's like uh um <laughs> because it comes you know you you hear the echo after the no and it sounds right mean. um and some people aren't, aren't built for that so one thing um i did with walking into the university spaces um uh, right now it's a no. Right now it's a no. It worked a lot because it's like it has a, a caveat to it, but people heard the no. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's easy to say, well, right now it's a no. Like <laughs> maybe later that can change, right. but as of this right. moment, no. Yeah. <laughs> so folks, folks who are trying to rush you, it scares them away, and it's like, cool, I don't want to deal with you anyway, right? And then folks <laughs> who have something really meaningful then they're like oh i'll be patient and then they'll come back around and you're like ah thanks for reminding me because i didn't want to like shoo you away all the way you know um Mm -hmm. so that's one one of my things Uh, i like that no i like that yeah well when you talk about your own self-care how does that extend 
to your diet and and the things you put in your body? Oh Lord. Um, so uh, I, I, I practice uh, veganism about four days a week. Wow. Okay. <laughs> you know it's it's, it's a start. Because uh, um, uh, to me, the self love is if I want a burger, I'm gonna have it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It, those are important. Cheat days are important. It's like making. Oh yeah, food. cheat day um, every day. <laughs> for me. Yeah. So yeah, for me, um, it's it's exercises. It's getting fresh air, even if it's cold outside, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, it's doing a little bit of cardio at the gym. And it's um, but but mainly it's eating. It's it's telling yourself no, right? Telling your body no. I'm not eating anything if it doesn't grow out of the ground, right? Um, and so when you do that for the majority, you'll have slip ups, which ends which ends up uh, adding or counting in, you know, margin of error, aka cheat days. And you say, oh, okay, well this weekend, you know, on this Sunday, I'm gonna go ahead and go all out because I'm relaxing. Mm-hmm. But then the rest of the week, it's like, okay, uh, should I have this? It's like no for the most part, you know. And um, easy way for me to to get into this lifestyle, I started with just cutting out uh bread and meat mm-hmm. and then, then it went to okay what types of meat do i want to add back into my diet and so for me it's like seafood oh, uh, yes. not never chicken <laughs> never never pork never uh beef mm-hmm. and so, never and chicken um, just don't how did you get to that point because <laughs> i i eat seafood and chicken mostly um seafood. every now and again i'll dip my toe in the red sea and have a little burger <laughs> or something. But how do you get to that point? I think that's the real challenge for everyone, getting to that point. Yeah. It um it had to happen in the mind first. Really, one day um I was doing the um, math is one of my favorite subjects. Mm-hmm. And so like uh I was doing the math one day on chicken wings and I was just like I don't think it's that many that many chickens that exist in America. <laughs> oh shit. <laughs> I was and I <laughs> Franken wings, uh, pterodactyl uh, wings. (laughs) And then they got the wingette. I'm like, oh, y'all don't even anything that doesn't have a bone. I'm not messing with it. Mm -mm." Oh god. And and so no, but I told a friend one day. He was like, uh, he said, "What's going on?" And I said, I said, man, he was like, "Uh, I don't eat wings. And he was like, why not? You know? I said, uh, I said, because um, I did the math and um, I don't think that's real. I don't think that's real chicken. There's not enough wings to go around. (laughs) He said. So, so, you know, I told him, um, he was like, he said, what's your math? I said, well, check this out. I said, okay, you eat a six piece. How many wings is that? He said six. I said, okay, how many wings on a chicken? He said two. I said, okay, so it takes three chickens to make a six piece. <laughs> he said, yeah. I said, okay, that's six chickens just for your one six piece. Today. Right. Said, Hypothetically, this one chicken spot in Chicago, um, on the West side. Uncle Ramos. Six pieces. Absolutely. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Shout out to Uncle Remus. Hey, Uncle Remus, even though we're not eating there. <laughs> right. So um, I said, okay, let's say this chicken restaurant, this one chicken restaurant on the west side, mm-hmm. sells 106 pieces. We know it's more than that, but we're just going to start there. All right. So how many chickens is that? He said 600. I said, okay, that's 600 chickens. That's one restaurant selling 106 pieces. Let's say, and I was like, let's multiply that. Let's say 100 restaurants in the state of Illinois that sell six pieces. Do the same thing. Now what's that? And he kept adding. And I was like, now we're up to like, um, my math's off right now, but it was like 60,000 or 600,000 chickens. Wow. And he said, yeah. I said, that's just for 100 restaurants in one state for one day. Word. So in a month, in a year, oh. what is that? It's like 60 million chickens a month? I think being just turned born, off a being lot of our hatched, being, yeah, being... <laughs> I said, I don't believe it's that. He said, you don't think it's that many chickens? I said, no. I don't. <laughs> I don't. I don't think farms have 
six million chickens just like and then I'm like where are these six million thighs <laughs> it's only wings so they're just throwing everything oh away. my god have you they seen do. the um, Netflix docu docu series Rotten about right. the yep. yeah, yeah they really dig in they really rip and run being from being from the Midwest, um, real quick, because I know you, we have a little bit of time left with you. Um, can you just pontificate? Give us your thoughts on how we, went, as a people, went from soul food, and we know a lot of that came from parts. Now that we're talking about animal parts that they didn't want, but how we went from soul food to a lot of us um, subsisting on fast food, and what that means for the collective black body and our health. Man, um, uh, I, I want to quote one of my favorite rappers, uh, Fonte of Little Brother. Mm -hmm. um, he has a song called Cry No More and another song called Expensive Jeans. And uh, in Expensive Jeans, he talks about like how uh, he said uh, our, our biggest fears were shots and armed robbery. Now our biggest fears are clots and oncology. Ooh. Um, and then um, in Cry No More, he says, um, put my pops in the ground, hit the repast and ate the same shit that killed him. Oh. And... Um, I would say as far as like um, soul food, you know, the food being comfort food and feeling so good and just the love that it's made with um, understanding or learning later on that like, man, that wasn't some of the most healthy stuff for you. <laughs> um, understanding that these are scraps. That's why it's for the soul. It's for the soul, not the heart, not right, right. brain function, <laughs> not the pituitary. Uh, <laughs> that's a great argument, actually. <laughs> but um yeah yeah and, and then of course you know as, as you can tell in different like restaurants and stuff it's like as soon as black people come up with different ways to eat foods then the restaurant figures out how to market it like the same way mm -hmm. you know like we've been um figuring out you know how to how to dip our chips into different cheese and beef and the next thing you know you got doritos los tacos right and it's like come on man like we you know we, we've been doing that but, chicken and um, waffles with garnish Oh man, yeah, it's like no, that ain't like we did it because that's what we had at the time. Mm -hmm. um, but um, out of necessity comes innovation. So of course I like to, as far as the positive of it, I, I like to look at it from that for what it is. But I stay away from it. And um, as I teach my nephew, you know, and generations to come, I just tell him like, hey, like, um, does it grow out the ground? And it's like we come from we come from the earth. So if it doesn't don't grow out the ground, man, it's not it's not going to add life. It's not going to add life to your body. It Amen. will make you feel good. It will make you sleepy. Right? <laughs> but that sleepiness is like your arteries like being clogged. It's an indication mm -hmm. of like, oh, honey, no. Yeah. It's, it's like, slow down. It's yeah. Yeah. You know? And so, um, yeah, so that's, you know, that's how I uh, feel about that. But it's it's important to protect your temple in, in, in more ways than one, especially physically, right? Because um, it's folks that got their mental together, but they still eating. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. That's me. So, <laughs> Hey, you're human, you know. What I'm saying? Right. So you like, I'm not there yet, you know. I I don't know when I'll get there, but you know. <laughs> or, but it's I'm up trying. to you if you desire to be there or not, you know. But At me, some point, I try. That's why I say four days a week. <laughs> right. About four to seven days. You know so what, what? So what about the remaining three days? What? Does oh, so that... like the other two, I'm like pescatarian. Okay. And on one day, um, I'm, I'm a wild card. So I uh oh. Say, yeah, yeah. Like, like cheat days get pretty. Um, they get pretty intense. I don't, I don't, <laughs> over, I don't become a glutton though. Right. Like I, may, I may go crazy on the sweets 
and every now and then, and every now and again, like once every three months, I may eat a piece of bacon. Just because God made bacon. Oh, wow. You really... Okay. But bacon is like... It's hard to avoid. I don't even do bacon on cheat days. That's like... Not even a little turkey bacon? No, I told you this when we did the after Thanksgiving. When I was home in Chicago, because I don't do it here, I did have some rib tips. (laughs) I I just... I was... Yeah, it wasn't even a question. Really? Bacon was the only part of the pig that I couldn't completely say no to forever. (laughs) And it was only... Like I said, I, it was only once a season mm-hmm. um, that I that I had to do it, and it's like, hey, you know, I'm this is the part that you know that I uh, you know couldn't couldn't let go. But other than that, uh, yeah, everything else got it. ribs I can do it out, pulled pork can do it out, mm-hmm. anything, and of course all the other miscellaneous stuff that I don't even uh, I don't even acknowledge as being real, like mm-hmm. hog mouse and all mm-hmm. these other hooves and all that. No else. hog head cheese. Ew, that doesn't even <laughs> sound good. <laughs> It sounds I'll like. Eat that on, I'll eat that on <laughs> <laughs> well, in any case, congratulations on being an exemplary black man yes. for all of I these people that. out here to see and hopefully aspire to. And congratulations on your mastered diet and, you know, your creations and like I caught a little bit of that freestyle out here being this magnificent black storm cloud <laughs> you know keep that. doing Thank your thing and and I'm to, to my knowledge the only um you know I checked out a little bit of coverage of the yard which is a hip-hop acapella musical covered by the source and other places and you know to my knowledge I haven't seen that done anywhere else and that's amazing as well so anybody listening, we definitely, definitely recommend you check out this man's body of work, including the new stuff that we're going to um, plug later, which is the Black Love mixtape. Yes. yes, yes and yes. Uh, a live album, my first uh, faculty recital is called Live from the Voxman, V-O-X-M-A-N. And uh, if you just search my name on Spotify, okay. uh, right now. a lot of stuff pop up there. Um, and also, I just want to, um, two things I want, I want to say before I get out of here. One, um, I'm, one of my biggest goals for this year is to learn how to farm, to build a garden and um, plant some herbs and learn how to like uh, farm and wow. grow my stuff out of the ground. Because even though, um, you know, we know that vegetables and fruits are, are, are good, it's still a lot of fruits that don't have seeds in them. And that's yep. natural. Right. So, still fake. Uh, Self-sufficient is the best way to be. That's Absolutely. where we're going yes. at this point. And there are a lot of urban forearms out there. My sister um, was a huge part of the food activist community and did a lot of work on urban forearms. And, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. it, it's out there. It's available to us. So by all means, go man, for shout, it. Man, shout them out. You know, if, if uh, shout them out, post it, you know, in the, in the, in the information link and everything. Yeah. When, when you find different farms, uh, just because it's important to for us to support each other. Absolutely. And, um, and to, you know, keep um, uh, cooperative economics going. Yeah. Um, and also, I want to, um, we talked earlier about, like, uh, self-love and mental health. And so I want to talk, I want to just share a quick experience is that I've been in therapy for about two years now. And one of the reasons that I wanted to go in the first place is because one of my favorite rappers, Joe Budden would always talk about going to therapy on mm-hmm. his podcast, like randomly in passing. Mm-hmm. He would just be like, oh, yeah. So, you know, when I went to therapy, <laughs> yada, yada, yada. And I'm just like, because it was coming from his from his body saying that. Right. And me already being a fan of his rap. It was like, oh, 
you can you as a black man can go to therapy too and so uh thanks to um i believe it's called black girl and Ohm, they posted a directory called therapyforblackgirls.com hmm. and i use that directory to find my therapist hmm. and so um they they have a directory by state you click on the state and they show you a bunch of listings and um when i was uh, seeking out a therapist i specifically looked for a black woman because I've always had like strong relationships with black women in my life mm-hmm. and I trust them. And I know that they love me. And so that's why um, I, I search that way. So that's another, you know, act of self-love. Yep. I engage it's important people, you know, black people are crazy too. We need work too. <laughs> it's not and it's just it's white affordable. people that can go right like there's sessions out there if your insurance doesn't cover it you could spend anywhere between 100 to 150 so instead of those fucking jordans or whatever else you want to get treat yourself but to some <laughs> oh, right treat yourself <laughs> to some mental wellness it's worth it it's worth it it's worth it it's and, and I'll, I'll just uh add this like for any brothers that's listening, um, because a lot of times, you know, brothers are reluctant, you know what I'm saying, mm-hmm. uh, to share, period. So, like, what I will give as far as, like, my my experience is, like, it's, it's giving someone, someone else giving you a vantage point, but they're showing you, you, and saying, like, hey, I noticed these patterns, you know, hey, you talked about this red tricycle three times in the past 15 minutes. Right. What does that represent? And then you're like, dang, I didn't even know that I talk about that a lot. And it gives you awareness. So, if you don't have self-awareness, I think what therapy does for you is gives you awareness and for somebody who's like you know licensed and um and, and professional at what they do and right. then you fix your yourself they don't fix you right so that's a big you know myth a lot of people think oh they're just gonna oh i'm supposed to come here and they're gonna fix me and tell me what to do like nah they're, they're gonna show you you and then you you know and give you mild suggestions mm-hmm. right. that's what's happened in my you know what i'm saying just point in you opinion. in the right direction because realistically yeah. you can't always see where you're going right patterns don't lie that's like my one of my mantras yep mm-hmm. yeah. well thank you so much for calling in and giving us your time we really appreciate it we'll definitely be bigging you up and sharing all of these fantastic things you have going on with everyone Mm -hmm. yes definitely we really appreciate you you. and thank you for having me and uh like i say i want to say again help raise the boys on the block so you ain't scared to let your daughters date the boys on the block. oh i'm definitely doing that safe space (laughs) by the boys on the block that's the All right. Well, next time I'm sneaking into Uncle Remus, you know, I might see you. <laughs> Actually, you put the mild sauce on it. You know, the mild sauce way better than the hero's mild sauce. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Thank you so much, Professor Brandon. We will definitely be checking you out more and, and, like she said, bigging you up and keeping in touch. We appreciate you. Word. Peace and love. At Brandon Alexander Williams on Instagram. Yes. yes. All right. Peace. Bye. Bye. What Some a good smashing stuff, young man. man. Yeah, Fantastical. Shy town represent. <laughs> she said, I love your accent. I that do. That killed me because I, so I don't know what the accent sounds like. It's like not quite Southern, but. Oh my God. Can I just quite, tell you? Just it's so like annoying teeters. when New Yorkers, it's either me or my family members, and they're like, yeah, Y'all are from the South? And I'm like, no. no, like, do we sound like Ti? It's like, very, it's quite literally Midwest. Like, it's not quite, you know, it's not quite um, Southern, but it's not. It's like a nice little balance, nice little line. That's that's why it's the middle. 
Love it. I like that he talked touched a little bit on black farmers. I didn't delve into the story, to be honest, but I kept seeing this repeating headline. Mm-hmm. I do follow guys, it's just farms with periods in between. Follow that Instagram and I can't remember the woman's name behind it, but she's always like talking about what the current state is for black farmers. But there was a recent story that's been making the rounds about the, the government having sold fake seeds to a number of black farmers. Oh, yeah. Um, that was in, um, I forgot what fucking documentary it was, <laughs> but they talked about the dark world of farming. It's crazy how the government just manages to make, like, fuck shit out of everything. There's um one company that just purchased um seeds, and there's, mm-hmm. like, a patent on seeds, and like, it's seeds! Ridiculous. Like, it's crazy. And then there's farms that I remember talking. Actually, I'm so sorry. I cannot remember her name, but I heard her on a podcast and she was saying we need to um, kind of hone in and stop these black owned farms from basically being sold because what's happening is that the, you know, offspring of whoever owned it, they mm-hmm. are not in- equipped or they don't have the desire yeah. to maintain it. Yeah, so the little just... bit of farms we have are not being passed on. And it's extremely important that we do have sustainable black farms. Yeah. Not to mention, you know, folks being ran off of their farm by the mm-hmm. government in some cases. So it's like... I'm just waiting for the day for nature to just turn up on everybody and be like, none of this shit is yours, B. Like, none of this shit is damn, yours. Damn, damn, man. We got so much to cover. Just but hit us with an asteroid. You know what? A okay. good transition from the body to the spirit because it affects both. And it's also one of your one of our both of our favorites, but you've talked mm-hmm. about him more. Um, we talk, let's talk about what dope does to the the body and the spirit. Oh, you said dope. You talking about future? No, I'm talking about future because you know, admittedly, that was like one of the hottest songs, and I said it on one of the other shows. I'm gonna be 60 still, like Percocet, <laughs> Percocet. Well, my I'm I'm still gonna be getting it, but oh god, you know, I don't want to spend too much time on it but when you look at the black body and, and the history of us in this country we know that dope was and you know even folks that don't look like us will tell you adamantly dope was put into our communities after the men who died on our behalf including you know Martin Luther King Malcolm X mm-hmm. and JFK and, and the Black Panthers that were murdered dope was then it was like okay it's the 70s we got them we got them too afraid to come out there and lose their life to move the people forward so we're gonna put dope in all the every major city yeah from harlem to detroit to cleveland to chicago to philly you name it yeah and then we had conveniently you know that happened in the 70s and then conveniently when you know i was coming around in the 80s it was like oh we got a war on drugs and that sounded really good at the time to people because they didn't really they understand what that meant. Buying drugs, buying drugs, and they were the whole point of war on drugs was that they were mad that Colombia was making all this fucking right. money, and they weren't getting any of it. So that you had the I forget the name because I watched the first season the the um, Narcos the show by John Singleton, mm. like a one word show. Lord help me, Snow Snow. Where they mm. they covered what you just said. Um, Narcos. So you had that, and then you had the unfair drug mm-hmm. laws. So the dope was like fucking up families, fucking up communities, obviously the bodies. Mm-hmm. And that does something to your spirit. You get to a point where you just don't, You there's no such thing as rationalizing. Drugs once you're fucks addicted. up your soul. Yeah. Drugs fucks up your soul. Like I've looked at 
people that are clearly strung out on crack or whatever it is and I can tell that they used to be that bitch or they used to be that dude in the neighborhood and they just got on this shit and now they're all fucked up and all you know that infinite potential that we're all born with has been cut down by a substance that will still remain the same Mm -hmm. while you are diminishing yourself really quickly though what does it say given all of that history and the knowledge that we have and we've uncovered um as a country and as black folks Mm -hmm. that we still it's still pretty prevalent in our music (laughs) that we're celebrating like well, Lane when you're and rich dope and Percocet and Molly, even if the person who's rapping it isn't particularly maybe even doing it. Well, when you're rich, a lot of your drugs are free. Mm-hmm. And when you're rich, you look better when you're on drugs. Like it's it kind of works in tandem. Mm-hmm. That kind of dark, dark lifestyle. It's um it's easier to sell. It goes over easier when you have... It's more glamorized. So we have more rappers who are standing up and saying, I'm vegan. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, some of the hottest music is like, I'm on dope. <laughs> Pretty much. But it's like, I mean, look at Future, prime example. You know, he was the one that was like the... the if anything, he, I'd say he's like the reintroduction of drug rap but he looks damn good. And he's always he's not fucking actually, dressed. I'm not saying he's not doing anything, but, you know, there was stuff Honey, that's like them, he's not really living uh, that life. I mean, he may not be His turned. Drug is, is he may else. not be Lil Wayne turned. Yeah. But I see those eyes behind them <laughs> shades. And those eyes be low. Okay? Speaking of drugs. <laughs> no. <laughs> horrible segue. Um, I do want to talk about some positivity of of like all the shit we've been through and we just still have this amazing spirit Mm -hmm. individually and collectively and one of the biggest pieces of that is humor Mm -hmm. I mean Richard Pryor Professor Brandon didn't get a chance to to touch on it but he actually spent some of his you know formative years in Peoria Mm -hmm. and that's where Richard Pryor grew up in Peoria, Illinois. Um, and then you got Red Fox, who who had a crazy-ass life. Mm-hmm. And you guys, I learned what the real deal was behind Sanford and Son. Like, it really wasn't a show I gravitated towards. It was like, you know, older folks would watch it and yeah. I'd be like, hear something. I didn't know the history behind it. And, you know, they didn't think that that show would take off. And then he just... I don't know the numbers, but let's say it was like, okay, a thousand dollars per episode then. <laughs> because we're not going to make more than X number. And then yeah. whatever that X number was exponentially grew mm-hmm. to where that thousand dollars just didn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. And the guys behind, um, you know, whatever network it was was like, yeah, we know that we gambled and we it paid off, but we're still not going to, we're still going to make you honor that original contract. And right. so Fred... Sanford, a.k.a. Red Fox, was like, I'm not showing up for work. I'm sick. Like, whatever. Till It got to the point of litigation. Like, it was a hot-ass mess. But when you look at his body of work and just even his name, like, the reason he has the two X's, and I watched some of his stand-up, and I was like, mm-hmm. oh, my God, I didn't even know, like, because you don't really see people talking about sex the way he did back then. Yeah. That's why he had the two X's, was to, like, basically tell you it's going to be, like, Raunch. some raunchy shit that I'm about to get into. Mm-hmm. Um and, you know, Richard Pryor, 
I watched JoJo Dancer. I had never, ever watched JoJo Dancer. I knew it was like this semi-autobiographical movie about when he was freebasing and set himself on fire. Yeah. But to actually watch it, and I didn't know Debbie Allen was in the movie, and, you know, that he grew up in this brothel where it's like his mom was a prostitute, his grandma was the madam, there's all these other women there. Depending on what source you read, you know, his dad was definitely there. You know, certain people say he did one thing bootleg and another person say he was a pimp. But yeah, his dad was But like that was the a, environment that he hustler. grew up in. Yeah. yeah. So to go from that to like, no matter what the background is, when you talk comedy, almost everyone says that they were inspired by Richard Pryor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of the greatest people in entertainment come from adversity. Mm-hmm. And a lot of great talents come from adversity. It's how a diamond is made. I mean, even taking it down a level to like what, you know, the environment I grew up in where we were bused to school because they wanted black kids in a, in a white school. But me and my sister were the only two kids on the bus who weren't from Cabrini Green Projects mm. and having to like defend ourselves both by fighting. And then we all became like friends, but also <laughs> seriously, kids and then also mess. playing the dozens and that whole thing and how it just becomes normal. <laughs> it's like yeah. your mama this and you know, she rolling her hair with rice and all that. <laughs> I mean, it's just amazing. And then even, you know, I'm sure you've experienced it. There's shit you go through. And at some point it's so horrific or it's so unfair and then you get to a point where you're talking to your friend about it or your family and you just something you find humorous about it to help you keep it moving mm, I have yet to reach that point oh, if anything okay. I'd say the humor is in where those same people that have caused me strife and aggravation are in their lives now mm-hmm. versus where I am that's the humor that's the ha 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 oh ha ha you know, I know hmm. we celebrate Black History every day, every month, and damn sure there's some chunk of it dedicated, I feel like, to every show we've done up to this point. We're out here making Black History. Right? I think it's funny, it. though. <laughs> I remember someone saying this, and then I, like, lost track of it. It must have been in my mental file cabinet, and then it got pushed back to the front. When you talk about Independence Day, mm-hmm. like, we have our Independence Day, right? But when you look around the world... And there's different countries and islands that celebrate Independence Day. It's always from the same source. Of course. <laughs> Who's everybody celebrating independence from? Britain. Right. It's always Great Britain or France yeah. or something like that. And yeah. so, I don't know. Like, I just hope that we don't, as we move towards the future, that we don't have to celebrate anymore independence day like can we just let people live and like you know be authentic in whatever their locale like not until their their truest innermost nature is nurtured when it counts which is childhood and not until parents are capable of giving things to their children before they become parents. Mm-hmm. That's just it. Not until then. Free, until we're free. Um, we did touch on on the live show. We it, Our live show was more like, um, it was us, obviously, but it was, I mm-hmm. feel like it was more of a variety show. Mm-hmm. So if you were 
a listener, it was like, oh, my God, there's them in, like, a different environment. But if you are just kind of finding us, and YouTube definitely is not helping us towards that effort, which is a whole other story, Mm -hmm. um, it's like, oh, okay, this is interesting. Um, But we did touch on the Reform Alliance, uh, largely backed by Jay-Z and Meek Mill, but it's addressing prison reform and just bringing it back again to, like, our spirit, um, you know, being incarcerated at such a high rate, but being such a smaller percentage of the overall population. And, I mean, we definitely don't have enough time to talk about all the down, downstream effects of that. Absolutely not. Um, I, I remember seeing something about them trying to take away the the right to, you know, send books to people mm-hmm. in prison, which is insane because for a lot of folks, that's the only thing that keeps them going is being able... I used to send books to my brother-in-law when he was... Um, Locked up. And what else are you going to do if not learn and right. build your body up while you're sitting in a fucking cell? You know, it's just. And I, I think the, the, the win there, because I do want to make sure, you know, we do celebrate the things that are being done on our behalf, even if they're not even close to being finished. Mm-hmm. I, it's, I feel like now, you know, the folks that are thinking about running for president or whatever office, that is something they have to address because it's so much in the collective consciousness, not even just black folks. Everyone's like, no, this is fucked up. You have to address, I mean, not to say that they're going to change it overnight, but you have to address prison reform. You have to address the, the, the prison pipeline, you know, with these kids being told that they're, you know, learning disabled because they learn a different way or, you know, that turns into them being um, suspended at a much higher rate and things like that. People are really starting to put a lens on that. It's not as big as I would like and it's not as widespread. Um, but that's something that we really need to push for and keep our eye on as we look for this black futurism train that we're going on. I think we Professor just... Brandon hit on a lot of things. Yeah. Um, but that's where I feel a little... We're at the beginning, I guess. Well, yeah, we need, we've been at the beginning. This country is fucking operating on a framework and principles that are, like, centuries old at this point. And it just doesn't apply to us anymore. It doesn't apply to us. And then, you know, shit is being run by cherry-picking, hypocritical, stupid sons of bitches that don't know nothing about nothing because they've spent their lives in the Ivy League of whatever and, you know, their milk came from, you know, a cow in, like, the fr- the French country and they don't know anything. It's like everything needs to change. Like, I keep hearing reform, reform, reform. Just reset. Just start mm-hmm. over. Start over because it's not working. One evidently. thing I thought about was spending. And I don't have the resources. I know there's someone out there that does, but I would like to really see at the local level and and then the highest levels, because that's something we're like, you know, tearing down a lot of structures in in different ways with different movements. How much are we spending on, you know, prison versus education? Because I know it's horrible in the state of Michigan, for example. Um, and and why hasn't that like that needs to be held accountable? I feel like the day those things are because that's held your priority. If you're spending two hundred percent more, and this is a real number mm-hmm. for some states, um, two to three hundred percent more actually on building prisons than you are education, you got to answer for that. 
it's like they're just spending imaginary amounts of money at this point. Um, if we were to really look into what's really, really going on, this country would probably go up in flames. Because, like, I keep hearing, you know, we owe trillions of this and we've borrowed billions of that. And I'm just like, okay, so what are the actual facts here Mm -hmm. like every time i hear like i personally don't watch the news because i feel like they don't talk about anything and everyone sounds fucking crazy and shrill these politicians you know they talk like this and they yell really loudly and they're just throwing out complex language that no one really like the average person (laughs) doesn't get yeah but it's like can anyone really have a clear idea of what's going on mm-hmm. and then the things that that they talk about it's like it's nothing it's just they stay on the same empty, subject it, it, there's nothing so it's like to really find out what's going on to really and truly know what's going on you know and i'm sure those there are those that have known like there was um that horrible video of one of these activists that was out um, during the time when um, Trayvon was killed Mm -hmm. and he was like literally bagged up and snatched up in it. Like that's the kind of shit that happens when you get too close, you know? Yeah. The last thing I want to touch on in the few minutes we have left is, um, and it's funny because Puffy just happened, or Diddy or whatever he's calling himself now. Um, I thought it was love. Wasn't it love? I'm going to call him all of that if I ever see him in person. (laughs) But no, he touched, it was like, we had already talked about it for the Mm -hmm. show, but then he did like, I don't know, like a two minute extended Instagram video where he talked about, we are the creators of culture. And he's not the first person to say it. It's just that he Mm -hmm. happened to say it recently. Mm -hmm. And I can't remember, but there was an article about that too. Like whoever's helping us shape the blueprint of the future Mm -hmm. for our collective selves, how do we prevent our culture from once again being monetized by folks that aren't the creators? Because there was some girl somewhere that started saying on fleek. And before you knew it, your favorite fucking cereal company or you know, shaving was like, yo, get this, it's on fleek. Yeah, it's pathetic. It's ridiculous. It's pathetic that a lot of advertising agencies go out of their way to be hip and cool because now every, like, you know, I remember I saw some fucking poster for a bakery and it was something like, some some cute lingo. And it's not acceptable until like, it's in advertising, though, too. If you were saying that, you were looked at as ignorant. Right. Until it made its way right. into mainstream. Now on the trains, you look up and it's like, your pussy's on fleek because you wear these absorbent period panties. Or it's lit. <laughs> Grubhub is delivering here right. and there. And it's like, honey, but y'all play us every second you get. Mm-hmm. But you want the lingo and the fun shit it's exhausting and it's stupid and to me there's nothing i hate more than certain lingo there's nothing what is lit to me lit is is light it's, it's right. light it's not like i, I, I don't lit my thing is we have to start two things valuing and appreciating whether we like whatever it is at the moment or not, right. our innovation, our creativity. And we have to figure out a way because this is just the world we live in. Everything's about monetization. We have to monetize our creativity and stop before being it gets so... stolen and someone else is monetizing it. And now it's like not even. And we got to stop being so inclusive. Be. Stop being so inclusive. Every time, you know, 
fucking Trevor or Becky Millie Rocks or Twerks, don't applaud. Oh, the Shade Room will post it. Look and the other say way. That they're invited to the cookout. No. Stop inviting them to the cookout. No more cookout ever. The cookout is done. The cookout, please. We're not inviting them to the cookout because they're not inviting us to their dinner out on Cape Cod. (sighs) They're not inviting us for for hors d'oeuvres in the Hamptons. Okay. So until that time, we got to just stop like cheering them on. But you brought it back full circle because that is right where we started right Mm -hmm. which was the self-hatred so just to to quote professor brandon becoming Mm self-aware and unlearning getting that therapist whatever it is you need to do be honest with yourself first and foremost yes and and then the black futurism thing is in full swing and the future's looking bright so yeah we hate black history because we live it we're not looking for february to talk about it or dissected, and that's why we purposely. There's a lot of shows that are covering Black history, and that more power to them, and that's great. But as usual, <laughs> we wanted to do something a little different. Yeah. So we wanted you to look, have something to look forward to, as Black futurism. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Um, definitely got something surprising for you for the next episode, and yeah. um, we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.